This is the game of trouble. Do you ever remember playing trouble maybe as a kid or maybe this past weekend because you were using this in a sermon? Maybe. Trouble is a fun game. It's, it's a lot like the game of sorry. It's based on Parcheesi where the object of the game is to move all of your pieces around the board and line them up in the finish line first. It's really fun because you get to pop this little pop-o-matic thing instead of rolling dice. And we played it for the first time this weekend in my house. And one of my kids, they actually asked, now, why is this game trouble? And that's when we learned that sometimes you get to land your piece on top of someone else's and you send them back home. And that causes them trouble. But the trouble is really a matter of perspective because on the game board, trouble can be a lot of fun. And some of us in our family did have a lot of fun targeting specific individuals to try to send them back home. But in real life, when we experience trouble, it's not very fun. In fact, there's nothing fun about it. Today we're talking about trouble in life, not on a game board. And my prayer and my hope is that our perspective about the trouble we experience in life changes because of the truth that we will see together in the scriptures. Why don't you do something? And this won't be very difficult for you, but why don't you pause for a moment and, and think of one or two realities that are troubling to you right now. It could be something very personal, very private, that very few people, maybe nobody else even knows about, that troubles your heart, disturbs and disrupts your peace and sense of well-being. It could be something something big that everybody knows about. Gas prices, <laughs> war. What is it that troubles you? I want you to hold those realities in your mind while we talk today. Hold them out in open hands before God. It might be something about your future or your present or the past that you can't seem to escape from. But I want you to make note of what troubles you today because we're asking God to change our perspective about those things that trouble us. Today, we're continuing our series with Jonah. We're tracking with Jonah in his short little book, but big life experience and last week, we followed Jonah as Jonah ran away from God, and we discovered that God was pursuing after Jonah even while Jonah was running away. You can go back and, and catch Matt's sermon from last week if you missed it. Now, if you remember where we left Jonah, Jonah jumped in the boat, tried to get as far away from God's mission to him as he could. God sent a storm chasing after him, and Jonah was thrown overboard by the sailors, and God had sent a great fish that swallowed Jonah. And today, we find Jonah inside that fish. Jonah's troubles keep getting deeper. It just keeps getting worse. And today, we're going to read the 10 verses in chapter 2. 
where Jonah calls out to God. So if you have your Bible with you or you can open up an app, you're watching at home, you can get up and walk across the room and pick up a Bible, would you find your way to Jonah chapter 2? Because you may want to reference different parts of these verses as we talk together. And you can also follow along on the screens. As I begin reading in verse 1, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So Jonah's in the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. You can picture it, how he felt in the water. Then I said, oh, Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. My earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods, they turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then... The Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Wow. What a prayer. This is a poetic song of praise, a prayer song that Jonah composed and offered up to God while he was inside the belly of that fish. And then at some later point, he was able to write it down and preserve it for those who would come after this is Jonah's darkest moment. His darkest moment in every possible way. It's hard to imagine how his troubles could get any worse, how he could sink any lower, how he could fall any further than he's already fallen. And yet in the entire four chapters of Jonah's story, this is also Jonah's brightest, shining moment of faith. In fact, you might even argue it's, it's his only moment of faith. Jonah seems to be living with a lot of bitterness and anger and questioning and doubt and, and fear through the rest of the book. Here in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah has lost everything. He feels like he's living in the land of the dead already. And he offers up this song and prayer of praise and faith and hope to God. Sometimes the darkest, most troubling moments of our lives can become shining moments of faith. And today we want to discover 
the truth about our trouble, the troubling experiences that are part of all of our lives, to shift our perspective about those things that trouble us and to discover a few faithful actions from Jonah's prayer that, that we can take that helps change our whole perspective about those things that trouble us first. The first truth that I, I want us to consider, your trouble is complicated in its cause. It isn't simple. Those realities that disrupt our life and cause us trouble, they are never simple. They're always complicated. This week, I was with a group of men that I've really enjoyed being a part of the last few years. And, and a man in that group uh, who, who was visiting, it was his first time there, he asked a question, and I, didn't, I don't think I responded very well. He was very troubled by the events that are happening in Ukraine. Terrible tragedies. And some other people in the group, I think, helped answer his question better than I did, but trouble is always complicated in its source and where it's coming from. Whether it's something big that everybody knows about or something very private and personal in our own private life or in our family life, trouble is always complicated. And we're always, because we're human, we're trying to find a reason for it and to discover where it comes from. I want to suggest three different causes for the trouble we experience in our life. And maybe you can come up with some other causes too. But I think these are three root causes for all different kinds of trouble that we experience in life. One is judgment. Judgment from God. Another cause is evil. Evil that's in our world and evil that's inside of us. And the third cause is just the nature of life just how life works sometimes. We find trouble from all those different causes, and sometimes one single event that troubles us, it's coming from multiple causes. You know, we don't like to think about it, but God is our judge. God is also our giver of life, and he is our good father who gives us good gifts. But God is the one whose face heaven and earth runs away from when he sits as judge. And God doesn't allow injustice and wrong and evil to persist forever. He allows us to experience the results of our own harmful actions. He does sit in judgment over wrong and over evil. He doesn't allow injustice to continue. Jonah experienced God's judgment. Now, the purpose of God's judgment was to bring Jonah back. It was to restore Jonah to a right relationship with him and to put him back on the right path, the mission and his calling that God had given him. But Jonah experienced severe judgment. We sometimes experience the painful results of our failure, of our action and of our inaction. We experience God's judgment. And it's not just us who experiences it, but other people do too. Have you ever considered the sailors who were on the boat? They, they weren't running from God. God didn't tell them to go to Nineveh. They were just sailors doing their job, and yet they were caught in this violent storm where they were afraid for their lives. They thought they were going to die. 
They were caught in the backwash of God's judgment on Jonah through no fault of their own. Now, though they weren't perfect people, but they were innocent in this specific regard. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, some of you know their story from the Old Testament scriptures. They were, they were young men, maybe even children, when their nation was judged by God and invading armies came and destroyed their families, destroyed their homes, took them away in chains as prisoners, turned them into eunuchs, and made them serve in a pagan king's court and household. That's pretty bad. And they didn't do anything wrong themselves. They were caught in the backwash of God's judgment on his people. It's a disturbing thing to think about. But families, businesses, and even whole nations can stand under God's judgment. And people who aren't themselves being judged can get caught up in that same judgment. Judgment's one cause of the trouble we experience. Another cause is just wrong, evil, and sinful behaviors and attitudes and choices. And we can experience evil in a few different ways. We can experience specific evil, general results of evil, and sometimes even preventative actions to prevent evil in the future. Sometimes we experience specific evil through the harmful choices that somebody else makes that violates us, that harms us, that does real damage. Sometimes we're the one who's making those choices, and, and it's our sin and our evil that's hurting other people and ourselves. Other times we experience results of general evil in our world, the painful experiences of disease and failing bodies and of natural disasters. The biblical story tells us that all of this natural evil that we experience, it's rooted in rebellion against God. That our whole world is caught up in that rebellion. The Genesis story instructs us that this is where evil was introduced into the world. It was human choices. And now we're all caught up, and we all experience this evil in different ways. And sometimes we even experience measures and actions to prevent evil. Remember Joseph's story? We went through Joseph's story in a teaching series not that long ago. His story fills the second half of the book of Genesis. Joseph experienced terrible things, betrayal, isolation, false accusation, imprisonment. And later in life, he said all of this happened in order to prevent a greater evil. Because you guys, when, when you harmed me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He put me in a position where I could save your lives and the lives of my family, the lives of untold thousands of people. And sometimes we experience evil that's actually preventing a greater evil down the road we don't even know about. And the third cause is just the nature of life. Sometimes somebody else's trouble pawn lands on top of you and sends you back home. Sometimes you have a flat tire or a dead battery, and God is not sending you some kind of coded message. It's because you drove over a nail, and batteries don't last forever. Just the nature of life creates trouble for us. Don't compound your trouble by trying to figure out and assign a specific cause for every troubling thing that happens. The nature of life causes us trouble. 
But I want you to notice something very unusual about Jonah's experience of trouble. In verse 3, did you see what Jonah said? Because it catches me off guard. He says to God, you threw me into the deep. Now, I don't know what story you've been reading, but that didn't happen in chapter 1. I mean, Jonah got a message from God and was put on a mission, and Jonah decided to run from God by jumping in a boat. And then there was a storm sent by God. And then Jonah said to the sailors, you guys toss me into the water. You throw me overboard. Nowhere in there did I see where God is picking up Jonah and plucking him out of his home and throwing him way out into an ocean. But Jonah says, you, Lord, you threw me into the deep. I want you to understand something about the troubling experiences in your life. And this might be both comforting and a little unsettling at the same time. It's a hard truth for us to come to terms with. A passage that I've returned through or returned back to throughout my life beginning when I was a child comes toward the end of John chapter 10 where Jesus is speaking and he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I've given them eternal life and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. My father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. Whatever trouble you experience in life, and whatever is causing it, the nature of life, or pure evil, or your own failure and mistakes, or even judgment from God, whatever you are experiencing in your life, it first passes through the good hand of God the Father and God the Son. Whatever you are experiencing, your entire life through your faith in Jesus is lived within the palm of his great hand. And no one and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. You threw me into the deep, Jonah said, because he began to understand that trouble is really complicated in where it comes from. But I am experiencing nothing that doesn't first pass through the good hand of my Father. Trouble is complicated in its cause, and it, it bothers us. But the second truth I want you to consider, your trouble, it just might be about something bigger than you. This is a life-changing point of view. In the early 16th century, Pope Julius II, he was a warrior pope, a strong personality. And he came to power in the Roman Catholic Church, and he wanted to put his stamp on the entire church and its systems and the way it worked and even its physical structures. And so he called and commissioned the sculptor and artist Michelangelo to come to Rome because he wanted Michelangelo to redecorate the Pope's Chapel, the Sistine Chapel. Now, the Sistine Chapel is a thing of beauty that all of us are now familiar with. 
Each day, plaster was applied, and Michelangelo would work on the ceiling. And, and you can probably remember and picture at least parts of that ceiling where Michelangelo tells the story of the Old Testament scriptures. And surrounding that story are images of the prophets, including Jonah, who foretold and prefigured the coming of Messiah. And near the center, there's that timeless image of God and Adam where their fingers are nearly touching the moment of creation when God gives life to Adam. We all know at least a little bit of what that chapel looks like, but are you aware of how Michelangelo experienced the painting of that chapel? Michelangelo didn't want to be there, and he fought against that commission from the Pope. They argued, they struggled, and while he was working on the chapel, he even wrote a poem that expressed his feelings about it to a close friend. I want you to read, I want you to listen as I read part of this poem. I've already grown a goiter from this torture, hunched up like a cat in Lombardy or anywhere else, the stagnant water's poison. My stomach's squashed under my chin, my beard's pointing at heaven, my brain's crushed in a casket. My brush above me dribbles paint, so my face makes a fine floor for droppings. My haunches are grinding into my guts. Because I'm stuck like this, my thoughts are crazy, perfidious, tripe. My painting is dead. Defend it for me, Giovanni. Protect my honor. I am not in the right place. I am not a painter. <laughs> the man who created the definitive work of Renaissance art, something that people are still traveling to see 500 years later, was miserable doing it. I am not a painter. My painting is dead. The images that Michelangelo made are startling because of the way they are lifelike. They're like, they're like sculptings made in marble that are then cast up on the ceiling in vivid color that are full of vitality and life. And yet from his perspective, my painting is dead. I'm not even a painter. I'm not in the right place. Michelangelo experienced a huge amount of trouble. But his trouble was really not about his own experience. We are still enjoying that timeless work of art that he created. Jonah's experience, it wasn't really about himself. There were thousands of people living in one of the greatest cities of the ancient world, who were about to fall under God's judgment. But God purposed to show them mercy through Jonah. And so Jonah experienced a terrible thing that no one ever wants to go through because Jonah's trouble was about something bigger than himself. But wait, wait, it was even bigger than those people living in Nineveh. 
when the eternal Son of God became man, took on humanity, when Jesus was teaching and walking, living on earth and performing miracles, his nation demanded a sign that would validate his claims about being Messiah, his claims of authority. And Jesus said, I'm not giving you any sign except for one, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For three days, for three nights, he was in the belly of the fish. And our Lord took Jonah's story and made it a big, flashing, neon sign, a billboard that was pointing toward him. Because for three days, Jesus entered the deep, the deep belly of the grave, and then he emerged into life. So maybe, just maybe, the trouble that you're experiencing right now in life, maybe it's about something bigger than you. How could your trouble become a way that God intervenes in the life and experience of somebody else? How could your trouble be transformed to help you become a minister and a servant to somebody else who experiences trouble? Beyond that, how could your troubling experience become a sign that's pointing other people toward faith in our good God? Maybe your trouble is about something bigger than just you. But there's no way around it. Even if it is bigger than us, our trouble still bothers us. So what about me? What does this trouble mean in my life and in, in my experience? The third truth I want you to take home, your trouble is your opportunity for growth. In fact, it's probably your troubling experiences in life that are going to help you grow much more effectively than the calm, pleasant experiences in life. In Jonah's story, in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah never talks to God. God spoke to Jonah. He gave Jonah a mission, and then Jonah ran. He left. He didn't argue with God. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't try to bargain or, or get to a different position. He just ran away. He didn't even talk to God. He got out there on the boat, and his life was in danger, and Jonah didn't pray. Jonah didn't ask God to save him or rescue him. Instead, he told the sailors, hey, you got to just throw me overboard. This is it. I'm done. I'm out. This will help you do it. He didn't talk to God. It wasn't until Jonah's trouble became worse and worse that he was driven to the point of understanding and realizing his deep and inescapable need for the presence and activity of God in his life. Jonah was brought to his knees to understand that there really is a God in heaven and his name is not Jonah. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand their deep need, who live with that humble dependence upon God who, unlike Jonah, are not forced by trouble to be pushed down to that point of desperation. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
in Jonah's prayer, we find three different parts. There's three different sections to Jonah's poetic cry out to God that can help us understand what actions can we take to transform our troubling experiences into an opportunity for our own growth. First, Jonah cried out. At the beginning of Jonah's prayer, he, he just acknowledged his position. He recognized his deep and abiding need for God and his presence and his favor and his blessing on his life. Jonah had been running from God's presence. And now when Jonah's all alone inside this fish, he understands that there's no one else there with him but God. And Jonah cries out. He calls out to God. And he describes in detail his position, and his experience. This is where a lot of us miss it. Because we don't even want to stop long enough to acknowledge where we're at. We want to turn the page and move on to the next thing. We don't want to deal with the, the painful emotions and the challenging realities that are part of our experience. Our first step is always crying out to God. The second step to make our trouble a growth opportunity is to practice gratitude. Jonah's mindset changed when he was inside the fish. Jonah was bitter and angry. And I've got to tell you, Jonah's growth opportunities, they don't end here inside the fish. They continue in chapters 3 and 4. You want, to, you want to come back the next two weeks to see how Jonah still needs to develop and grow. But here in the belly of the fish, we see Jonah's mindset begin changing. And he begins to speak with gratitude to God. To the God that he was angry and bitter with for all that he had done, for, for the mission he had given him, now Jonah is practicing gratitude. It's a massive step of faith. When in the middle of our troubling experiences, we are able to express our gratitude and thanks to God for his goodness. It's not that hard to be grateful to God when everything's going my way. But when I am trapped in trouble, when I'm in the fish's belly, it isn't natural. It's supernatural to practice gratitude. How can you be thankful to God right now? A friend of mine, and I saw him here this morning, he, he posted a quotation on social media this week from Martha Washington. And Martha Washington, she wrote a letter to a friend at a time when she was very unhappy. She had been looking forward to a quiet retirement in Mount Vernon, and her good old husband George answered the call of his country once again to become the first president of the United States. She didn't want that life. She was ready for a different pace, a little bit less struggle, a lot less politics. She expressed all that disappointment to her friend, but I want you to see this, this, these couple of sentences, this line from her letter. The greater part of our happiness or misery depends on our dispositions, our attitude, our state of mind, and not on our circumstances. We carry the seeds of the one or the other about with us in our minds wherever we go. Practice gratitude. The third step the third part of Jonah's prayer that we see is at the end, 
where Jonah keeps the faith. When you're in trouble, hold on to faith. Don't stop believing. Jonah answers this troubling experience with a song of praise to God. And he concludes by saying, I will make my sacrifices of praise. I am looking toward your temple. I'm going to worship there again, Lord. Jonah spoke with confidence that God would deliver him and bring him out. When you're in trouble, your trouble can become a growth opportunity. When you respond with praise to God by crying out to him, acknowledging that pain and that challenge, not denying it or running away from it. When you practice gratitude and change your mindset, your disposition, we're carrying the seeds of happiness and misery with us at all times. And third, keep the faith. The game of trouble, it can be a fun thing to play. But it's really troubling when we experience trouble in our lives. James, the early church leader, he, he wrote a letter to Christians who were being persecuted. And he really summarized everything we've been talking about right at the beginning of his letter. I want you to see these beginning words to James' letter to Christians who were facing torture and potentially death. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When troubles come your way, add it all up and count it for joy. Let yourself grow. Your trouble in mind, it's very complicated in where it comes from. We can't even always trace it back to its roots, but there is nothing happening in life that doesn't first pass through the good hands of our God. Your trouble really is about something bigger than you. How could it be changed so that God could intervene in someone else's experience? Your trouble can be a big flashing sign that points someone else to our Savior. And your trouble, it really is your greatest opportunity for growth. Jesus picked up the sign of Jonah as his sign that he really was who he claimed to be. And Jesus gave us a sign that we pick up where we identify ourselves with Jesus. Baptism. In baptism, we are laid down in the water. Not for three days, it's just a moment. We follow Jesus in death, and we are raised back up to new life, the new life that Jesus claimed in the resurrection and the new life that he is extending to us. Baptism is the external sign of that internal reality of new life in Christ. And today, we're celebrating with a group of people who are taking this beautiful and important public step of faith to identify themselves with Jesus and pick up that sign.
We're going to sing a song of reflection and praise to remember how God works through our trouble, and then we're going to celebrate with those who are being baptized. Jesus, you became vulnerable for us. You took on our pain and weakness. You entered into this world to give us new life. You experienced trouble beyond anything we ever will. We can't even imagine it. Help us in our own experience of challenge and difficulty to live with the confidence that our trouble might be complicated and confusing, but it's really not just all about us. And it's also our chance to keep growing. We, we can't respond to our trouble naturally on our own with praise and with faith and hope. And so we ask you to give us the grace to live that kind of life. Today, Father, we're so thankful for those who are following you to publicly declare their faith and to celebrate the new life you've given them. We praise you. We join them in this community of new life and faith. We celebrate the fact that we've already begun experiencing eternal life, life that never ends, that can never be snatched away or taken away. We love you. We praise you. And so together again, we're offering ourselves. You take our failing, weak faith and heart and our trembling hands. You take all the pain and the trouble that we experience, and would you turn it into your song of praise?